about the imagination. I've been mentioning that somehow or another that's getting touched in different ways. We've been talking about that aspect of your life that doesn't get talked about a lot, and that's your inner man. Paul writes in several locations that you and I were created triunely, as God is triune, uh, in three parts, as he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we are body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit portion of us is what he called the inner man. And again, uh, you can come on Wednesday night. We've been teaching it on Wednesday night. I've been talking to the guys on Monday night at Connect Group as well on this subject. And uh, while we don't have Iron Men this week, you can come and be a part of that beginning next week. But uh, body, soul, and spirit. Body is what you see. That's the, that's the shell that all of us see initially when we interact with each other. Some of our shells are quite young. Some of them are getting a little old right now. Some shells have hair, some don't. It just, you know, God just, just equips them all differently. And uh, you can wish for better equipment, but I'm just here to tell you that ultimately that's not who you really are. That, that your inner man is who you really are. And so uh, the body is perishing. One day uh, mortality will take on immortality. Corruption will take on incorruption. And this shell will finally uh, fail me. But the good news is who I am really won't ever fail. There's a treasure inside of me, this earthen vessel. And that's the part we want to zero in on. It's, it's really the last thing we usually think of, but it's really the first thing we need to begin to conceive of. And so we've been talking about the inner man. And that's where the Spirit of the Lord lives inside a believer, is in the inner man. If you want to know where God is, He's in your spirit. His spirit, Romans eight sixteen, bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And so that's where God interacts, in the inner man, in our spirit. He isn't acting in your mind. He isn't acting in your feelings. Now, you will have things that come to your mind. You will have feelings that can come to you, but that's not where it originates. It originates in the inner man. And if he's living in the inner man, if God is in there, imagine that. Come on now, imagine God is in here. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. The fullness of God dwells in me. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. If that be true, then everything I need is there. There's no lack in Him. Now, it's not, there's no lack in me. There's no lack in Him who's in me. It's Him. And, it, and it's just learning how, do, how in the world do we, do we release that spirit portion of us? How do we access that which is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think? How in the world do we do we Get into that which is inside of us because, as I said last week, He didn't design us to be mere men and mere women. We were created to be the sons and the daughters of God. We were created, yes, we were. We're the born-again bunch. We're not like the world, praise God. We're not cut out of that mold. And it's not just because we do things they don't do and we don't let our feet and our eyes and our hands do things that they don't do. Sometimes we got to understand that the don't list is fine if that's all you can muster up with regards to your faith. But the don't list it pales in comparison to what I can do list in him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I'm doing what he's doing, I don't have enough time to don't do what I ought not be doing. Amen. And I'm just trying to get our minds shifted so that we can begin to see the sons and the daughters of God begin to be manifested. All of that is in you. And unfortunately, it is the least understood area. Now, I want you to understand what I'm about ready to say. Don't get irritated with me. Please don't go out and misunderstand. 
But, but it's great to be able to speak about natural items. It's great to talk about, you know, anger issues. It's great to talk about marriage issues, parenting issues. All these things are great, have a, have a place, and there's a place in his word. But if you don't get this issue down, see, the fact of the matter is we need an anointing to parent. It's not that we necessarily need more information. We need an anointing to do this. I need an anointing to break that rebellion. I need an anointing in order to give guidance and direction. I need an anointing to be married. And Tracy needs a greater anointing to be married to me. I mean, are you with me? There's a spiritual dimension to these things that cannot be overlooked. And so I'm trying to get back to the real basics of the issue. And I believe they're the most important. And, And my... Lesson this morning I've entitled, Manifesting the Imagination. Manifesting the Imagination. I can't go and cover all that I've taught on the imagination. Get it from iTunes. Go buy a CD. Don't be cheap. $5. $5 is nothing compared to about 30 hours of professional counseling. So, I mean, you just go get you a CD and it'll be the best five bucks you ever spent. Manifesting, though, we have to talk about how do I get what's in my imagination out and manifested in my life. And I want to read Genesis chapter 15, and it says this. Are you there, Genesis 15? Four of you are there. Come on now, we'll put it on the screen. Are we going to put that on the screen, Dan? All right, we got it. You can read along there. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now understand, the Bible says he has a vision right now. I'm telling you, that's the imagination. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now that's, a, that's an amazing word because Abram and Sarah are quite old at this particular point. The biological tick Uh, A clock had stopped ticking a long time ago. And there was nothing in their body that was saying, you can do this. Nothing biologically that would have given any any indicator that this is something that they could have done. But he says, the Lord says, don't you think about what is. You think about what could be. I'm bringing something out of you that could be. And so then it says that the Lord brought Abram outside, verse 5. And this is what he said. He said, look now toward heaven. In other words, he took him out of the tent, he pointed his eyes to the sky, and he said, look in the sky and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And the Bible says in verse 6 that Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now turn over to Romans real quick, and I'm going to read what Paul said about that very story. Paul had something to say about that very story. In Romans chapter 4, because you got to hear the whole story. Romans 4, beginning with verse 16. Romans 4, beginning with verse 16. I want you to get there, especially if you brought your Bible with you, because you can underline, you can circle, you can put arrows in it. All right? Because these are verses that are going to come back to you from this point forward. Verse 16, Romans 4. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead... 
and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Are you starting to get revelation? He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old. It's hard for a body to produce at a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, here it is again, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. Here's the part where you can get excited. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Isn't that good news? It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus up, Jesus our Lord, up from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Praise God. You don't have to be a great theologian to start getting a little bit of what we're being taught in these verses. Now, a couple weeks ago, as I mentioned, I taught on the imagination. And I told you that in order to access the possibilities of the inner man, you had to solicit something from your imagination. The Bible calls it vision. Sometimes it's called a dream. I don't really care how you label it, and we get so caught up in labels. I just want you to know that somewhere in what I call the imagination, you've got to begin to see what God's will is for your life. It's one thing, however, though, to see something. It's another thing to see it come to pass. You can get a great imagination. Some of us have vivid imaginations in this room this morning. But you can have a vivid imagination and you can tell me all the things that you're seeing God do. But it's different. Seeing it is good. But you now have to see it come to pass. I was thinking as we're looking at drawings and, and, and you know, uh, as far as uh, uh, property sites and all those kinds of things that, that if you're in the construction business, if you're a builder or you're a developer, you know, you can be handed or you can even draw one yourself, the blueprints and the elevation to your home. In fact, that's an exciting thing. If you've ever built a house or in, been in any sort of construction pro, uh, pro, uh, project, it's an amazing thing to get the blueprints, the elevations, and you begin to see some masterful hand begin to draw out, an architectural engineer draw out what it is that eventually will be setting on that piece of property. And you can begin by looking at that drawing. Uh, you can get a vision. You can begin to imagine all that it will be. But it's one thing to have it drawn out in front of you and to imagine. It's another thing to begin to bring that building to pass. I have the site plans in my office. And the building plans are the beginning of these things for our new church. And it includes on that site plan... The first sanctuary, phase one, which will be about the size of our facility here, 13,000 square feet. We'll use uh, our space in a little bit more economical way because we have opportunity to plan and do some other things with it. So you'll be amazed at how large that really is. But there's also on the site plan already constructed there a place for a 1,500 seat facility. 
And as you look at the site plan on that 11 and a half acres, it's exciting to see that and to think about that and to imagine what all of that could look like. But it's one thing to have all this in front of us as imagination, but what does it take to see it manifested? There are some of you here this morning and you've already begun, not just because I've exhorted it again this morning, but you've already begun to imagine. You're imagining something in your future. You're imagining some resources coming your direction. You're beginning to imagine a new career. You're imagining maybe your house that you've always wanted. You're beginning to imagine a piece of property that you've had your eyes on for a while. You're imagining that new job or that new career. You're imagining some relationship that uh, you'd like to have in the future in the will of God. You're imagining that God could heal you from whatever it is that's ailing your body. You've begun to imagine that maybe there's a day you don't have to live under this particular bondage or this stronghold and God will deliver you and bring you into a new season. And there's all sorts of things that are in our imaginations as we begin to think about this. But it is time to take it out of just the realm of the imagination and say, what must I do to see this thing come to pass? The Lord told Abraham... To imagine. In the book of Genesis I read to you. He said Abraham. Imagine with me will you. Your destiny. Imagine with me by looking into a night sky. And seeing stars that are too innumerable to count. Begin to imagine. That this will be the size of your offspring. Imagine it Abraham. And the Bible says that when Abraham was out there on the plains of Ur. And he was looking into that night sky. Seeing stars that were unimaginable and uncountable and as he as he received the word of the Lord into his heart the Bible says that he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness why would he put that in there it's because I think I even put it on the screen overhead it is a righteous thing to imagine God's purpose for your life We've been taught somewhere along the way that if we begin to conceive... Now, I'm not saying be arrogant and a braggart and haughty. We may need to get to that at some time. But we've, we've got a whole slew of people who've grown up in the church that have been taught somewhere along the way that, that if they begin to even conceive or dream of something something in God's will that that's, that's just incredible, that somehow or another, that that's unrighteous. And so we've sort of grown up with the grasshopper mentality. We've just sort of seen ourselves as not much and, you know, and, and we've sung the songs, little as much of God's in it, and that's true, but we've just kind of seen ourselves as not much and kind of piddly and we kind of walk with our shoulders slumped a little bit and, well, you know, if God wills and if that's what He wants from my life, you know, but I'm just, I'm willing to live in a shack, you know, if that's God's will. I'll and this is our confession and that's our imagination and I'm just saying to you, it is righteous to see God's will. For you. Come on. It is righteous to begin to believe that God could do something in you to influence the multitudes. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. I understand you don't have to get a Rolls Royce and a Bentley to influence the multitudes. I got it. But there's nothing wrong with influence the multitudes. It was accounted unto him as righteousness. And that's not a haughty thing. When God begins to unveil His purposes, it's more than wishful thinking. It's more than human thinking. It is God-ordained, God-endorsed imagination. 
Do you know why God sent me here to you today in order to preach this to you and, and, and give you this message? It's the same reason that at times some of you have received a personal prophecy or a personal word. It's the same reason that there have been times some of you have been praying and you felt like God was drawing you or calling you or opening something up to you. I'm telling you the reason He does these things is because He's trying to pull your imagination out. To pull out your dreaming again. He wants you to imagine what He could do in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. It is righteous. But preaching this is easier than walking it out. Amen. Everything in our natural world, everything in our senses, in our body, fights with us. Draws us back into the natural man. Draws us back into those mentalities of the natural mind and our natural feelings. It, it, it wants to snuff out and suppress and subdue that which God is doing in our spirit. And we've got to break out of that. You know, I love the city that I'm in. I really do. There was a time I didn't like Charleston much. And every now and then that'll kind of crawl me. But by and large, I like where I live. I believe I'm called to where I live. But I can tell you something. Ten years ago, I was thinking about it this week. When we first came to this city a little over ten years ago, there was something that I, I first observed. It was a phenomena in this area. And, and, and as I just sort of took an evaluation, there was no judgment to it. I'm not judging it. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation. But Tracy and I both had mentioned this to each other. Others have mentioned it as well. That I found our particular region spiritually, revelationally, even musically, I found this area of where we live to be about a decade behind everyone else and what was going on in the country spiritually. About a decade behind. I just came from the upstate of South Carolina, and we came here, and it seemed like the music that was sung, the things that were taught, and everything was about a decade behind. There was no cutting-edge spiritual activity. And that's not an, um, there's no indictment made in that. It's just an observation. And it was an observation that I just went, oh, well, whatever, and just kind of dove in and did the work of the ministry. But I believe now I understand why that is the way it is. Our imaginations as Charlestonians, our imaginations as low countryites, is that a word? I don't know. But our imaginations of those who live in this region are always pointed backwards. It's in the culture. We envision what was instead of what could be. We take the carriage ride downtown and we listen to the guide and he begins to explain to us all the happenings on Meeting Street and the battery. And he begins to tell us all the interesting stories and we love to go on the carriage ride. And the whole time we're sitting in the carriage, we're going, imagine Calhoun walking along this street. Imagine in that in that house right there, them signing the Articles of Confederation or them signing the secession papers. Imagine. Imagine what it must have been like everybody strolling along the battery, watching the shells being shot on Fort Sumter. Imagine. And our whole area is built on imagining what was. Our economy is built on imagining what was. You can't paint your house unless you imagine what was. Are you hearing me? 
And it's inundated. Everywhere we go, it's about what was. And we have to understand that we, as the people of God, must break out of that. Because as much as we can value what was, God is not a God taking us back. He's a God that's moving us forward. He's a God that's taking us somewhere. He's a God that's redeeming this area. We're not trying to get back to 1800. We need to get in 2008 and see an updated God do an updated thing in an updated place. You know why Jesus had to spend three intense years with his disciples? I got this. I mean, God's talking to me. The reason Jesus had to spend three intense years with his disciples is because of this. He had to break their imagination's power to the past religious system. Because all they knew was what was. This is how we did it. This is how we sacrificed. This is how we worship. This is how we do all of these things. And, and, and that's all they could understand. It's all they could relate to. It, 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 was the, it was the boundaries of their imagination. And the reason the Jewish people to this day have difficulty accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah is because they've got it in their mind that somehow He's going to fit what was instead of what is. He's not the God of I was. He's the God of I am. And so Jesus, I believe, walked with them and taught them and demonstrated to them. And he was breaking inside of them all this old past stuff. He'd forgive sin and he'd extend love and grace. And he'd call the religious group on the carpet and all the things that had never been done before. They'd say, we've never heard such things before. We've never seen such things before. It's because you're waiting for something that was instead of imagining that which could be. The Lord showed me our five years together has been to break our imaginational bondage to whatever it's been that we brought with us. God's not taking us back to something. He's taking us to something. We're not trying to be what already exists because what already exists is what was. We're going to what has yet to be. Are you with me? That's a first fruit. We're not trying to be that which has already been established. It's been established. We're going to that which has yet to come. And he's breaking the power of the past in our mentalities. And he's breaking that in order that our imaginations could be loosed again to see what could be. I've heard people say, that doesn't work in Charleston. Well, it only doesn't work because it hadn't happened yet. But it can happen because God can do all things. Amen. And I believe a part of our call, and it just rose up in me, that yes, we're to set people free. And we've been talking about that. We're to bring deliverance to the captives. This is imperative. But the reason we bring freedom, the reason we minister deliverance, the reason we set the captive free is to help this area imagine its future. To help this area imagine what it could be in the economy of God. To imagine what, what might it have been like if the Great Awakening had taken place. What might it begin to reflect if God were to move unencumbered? That's what our job is. It's to look people in the eye and say, you don't have to look backward. You can look forward. Forward. Well, how does that happen? How is the imagination manifested? Well, Paul then helps us in the book of Romans here. He begins to pick up on the story of Abram. And as he picks up on the account of Abram, he begins to share in between the lines as to how God can begin to do that in all of our lives. He tells us how God granted the promise to Abram, which was righteously imagined. 
And then he begins to share with how it, how it will be manifested to us. He says that, that you're the seed of Abraham, that, that this was not just for him alone, but it was for all of us. And here in verse 16, it's interesting, we see the words. He says, therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace. We see these words, faith and grace, which means that something must happen beyond our own efforts. You know, when Abraham tried to help the Lord out, he got an Ishmael. I mean, he said, well, I guess I'll just help the Lord out here. I'll just get me another one and we'll just, we'll just get the shoe on the rude. And he ends up birthing an Ishmael, which till this day, Ishmael is the lineage of the Arab people. And how many of you know to this day, the Arabs and the Jews have just not gotten along. They got 4,000 years of animosity and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Give them land, do this, do that. It ain't stopping. But that was Abraham's fault because he wanted to do something to help get the show on the road. But the Lord said, no, this isn't going to be something that you're going to do. This isn't going to be something that you can make happen or you can engineer. But there's going to be faith and there's going to be grace in all of this, which means that there's going to be something from me, says the Lord, that will happen beyond your own efforts, beyond your own reasonings, beyond your senses, beyond your flesh. God wants to do something, folks, in us that's beyond what we can just sort of figure out on the end of a pencil. He wants to do something in us that, that goes beyond just what the, the experts say can be done. Go beyond what the demographers say can only happen in our region. How many of you know when God shows up, He doesn't check in with the demographic study. He doesn't check in with what was. He doesn't have to check in with anybody. He just does the impossible. So there are four things. That I'm going to give you, and I say real quick, it probably won't be, but, but they're, they're, I think they're key in manifesting your imagination. Come on, I'm going to help you get from where you are to your future right now. Four key concepts. Number one is, write it down, conception. Conception. How does God take imagination and what you envision and how does he bring it to pass? The first one is conception. Before imagination can be manifested... Or let me use this analogy. Before imagination can be birthed, it has to be conceived. You can't birth nothing. Right, ladies? You can't do it. You have to conceive it inside of you. Now, I've always said, because I've taught on this a time or two, that, that ladies are probably far better in their understanding of this, especially those that have children. But I believe ladies in general, because they're just wired relationally and God has given them the birthing mechanisms that sometimes they, they can latch hold of this a little bit better than we men can. Because, because when, when you're wired for childbirth, and, and, and just bear with me for just a moment, this is an observation from a man who will never join that club. I'll never be in that club, and I, it'll be held over my head till I go home to be with Jesus. I mean, I will never. I understand. I could lose an arm, and it will not be like childbirth. I mean, it, I understand that, ladies, so... But just bear with me as a man who knows nothing about having children explains what takes place, all right? I've watched as ladies begin to envision. They imagine. My wife does it to this day. She'll go into a baby superstore and we'll be buying a shower gift for somebody. And she'll walk through the shop and she'll see the clothes and she'll pull the clothes out. And she'll go, oh, isn't this cute? And she'll ask me what I think. And I'm going... It's clothes. I just, you know, 
dress the baby. That's, I don't, oh, isn't it cute? And I can't wait till we have grandbabies. And, and can you imagine little this, you know, being in this particular clothes? And, and I can see her imagination just running in that baby superstore. Some of you have done the exact same thing. Some of you have gone home and you begin to look at one of the rooms in your house and you'll envision the color of the nursery and the paint that's on the nursery walls and you'll imagine the crib over here and, and, and you'll imagine the changing table over here and you'll imagine whatever new technology they have over here and the new video camera that sets right there so you can see what's going on. You know, we didn't have those back in our day. You just, you just had to hear them fall out of the crib. That's all that... Back in my day, that's all that happened. But now they have video cameras that you can watch from another room. But you know what? You can do all of those things, ladies, but that doesn't mean you're pregnant. Are you with me? You can have imagination and vision, but it doesn't mean you're pregnant. To conceive means that you have received the seed into your birth system. That there's been seed implanted in the egg, in the uterus. A seed has gotten in there and you've conceived that thing. Now you need to understand that you must receive the seed of His promise, of His word in your birthing system, your spiritual birthing system. In your spirit. You gotta, you gotta conceive it in your spirit. You say, how? How do I conceive it in my spirit? I kinda got the biological aspect down, but how does this work spiritually? Well, spiritually, it works through your words. And what you need, once you see in your spirit what it is that God wants to do, if you want to conceive it, you need to begin to speak it by saying, I receive that. I believe that. The, the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of Jesus, when the angel declared what God wanted to do in her, sovereignly give her the Messiah in her womb, she said these words, Let it be done unto me according to your word. At that moment... Something spiritually was conceived that overtook even the natural. And spiritual conception began to birth a natural person. You need to do the same thing. You do something spiritually by receiving and it begins to birth the natural. Remember, some people, now I wrote this down, some people will conceive easier than others. I always found that interesting. I mean, Tracy was like fertile myrtle. I mean, I mean, it, it, she was fertile myrtle. We, we won't even go there. But we had to be extremely careful. Or we'd have had 50 children. Because she just, she had a, a conception system or a birthing system that could conceive quite easily. Others, they have their struggles, they have their challenges. And so they conceive through great difficulty. But here's what I just suggest to you. Spiritually speaking. I suggest to you that if you dwell in, in a fertile environment... That, that you'll conceive more easily. I mean, you know why some people, they'll eventually go to, uh, what do they call those doctors, in, in vitro fertilization? And you'll go to an environment. If you're having difficulty conceiving, you will go to an environment. You'll do all sorts of crazy things in order to get pregnant. We won't even go into some of the homemade remedies. But, I mean, you'll do all sorts of crazy things in order to get pregnant, including spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, nothing wrong with that, to get yourself in a fertile environment in order that you might conceive. Well, why would that be any different spiritually? You need to get to a place that's fertile for conception. You need to get into a church, and I intend to have this church to become a fertilization zone in order that people could come and conceive greatness, conceive the unimaginable, conceive the exceeding abundant thing beyond what we could ask or think. Conceive it. 
And you need to dwell in that environment. And the second thing I put down here is the seed must be a rhema word that is enlivened in you. You just can't, you know, just walk around. And I'm going to mention this in just a moment. You just can't walk around and wish, think, hope, maybe, could be. I hope it happens. You, you've, got to get, you've got to get that in your spirit. That enlivened word, as if God spoke to you himself, pulled you out and said, I'm talking to you, son. I'm talking to you, daughter. I'm not talking to... There are people right now, you're listening to me, and it's as if you and I are the only people in this room right now. Others of you, you're in another land. I'm still glad you're here. But for some of you, it was like... And you said this before. You said, Pastor, it was like you were talking straight to me. That's because it's not me, it's God. And God's enlivening something in this moment to you that's becoming rhema. In other words, it's being spoken, literally spoken to you. And as it's being spoken to you, that's, that's the thing that you can lay hold of and say, I receive that, I accept that, let it be done unto me according to your word. And you conceive that thing. Now, let's go to the next step, number two. It's conviction. Conviction. In verse 16, I, I found this interesting. It says, so the promise might be sure, my version says sure, to all the seed. If you look out in the margin, it actually uses the term certain. Certain. I put the word conviction down. The word for sure is certainty. There is a conviction of certainty that what you have imagined is a sure thing. Get that now. I'm, I'm teaching you. It's always great to be exhorted, but now I'm teaching you. There's a certainty, a conviction that what you have imagined is a sure thing. Your senses. Your senses can't overrule you. What you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you smell, it cannot overrule you. There is an unshakable certainty in your spirit. It's a truth in your spirit. You may walk into family situations, you may walk into friends, co-workers, and they'll look at you and think you to be foolish and think you to be crazy. How many of you remember that when Joseph articulated his imagination to his brothers, his dream to his brothers, they were just flat out irritated? So you got to understand that there, there, there's not going to be many people that are going to tell you to go for it. They're going to look at you and they're going to roll their eyes and they're going to talk about you at the water cooler and there's going to be just this little <laughs> that'll go through the school or wherever it is you are. But you've got to reach the place inside of yourself, in God, where this is a certainty. This is a conviction. This is unshakable. Let them all at the office talk about me. Let them talk. They all talked about Noah too until the rain showed up and the ark got shut. Let them talk. Because you've got to be certain, sure. If you want this thing to be birthed, you've got to be sure you're pregnant. You can't just walk around and say, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm pregnant. You've got to be sure you're pregnant, convinced, certain. This is, I believe, the moment revelation takes place, it is embraced. There's a place inside of you that you get a hold of that which is unshakable and there's no talking you out of it anymore. Can I share this with you? If, if I or anyone else can talk you out of your salvation, then I suggest you aren't saved. I've had people say, well, Kevin, you spend so much time talking about living holy or living righteous or living at the cross and you just cause uncertainty in people. No, I don't. Not if you're really saved. I wouldn't cause them any uncertainty in your life. If there's doubt and unbelief in you, I'll expose it. There's got to be a certainty in you. I know that I know that I know. I know. I know. 
I know. And when that I know moment comes, that conviction comes, then you're at a place where you can begin to see this thing birth. Number three, I use the word confession. Confession. So there's a conception, there's a conviction, and now there's a confession in verse 17. It says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Your confession is only as good as your conviction to the revelation. I'm going to say that one more time so you can get this down. Confession is only as good as your conviction to the revelation. The Bible says, calling those things that be not as though they were. You must speak the conviction. You must speak what God has said he's going to do. You must speak the plan and the purpose of God. And you must do this despite not having any sense proof or external proof that God could do this. Remember, Abraham's body's dead. Sarah's body is dead. There's nothing biologically going on inside of them that would indicate that they could do the childbearing stuff. Nothing. Their senses are, 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 you can hear it going off in them saying, this is silly, this is stupid. Your body's dead. It's biologically impossible. There's no sense even, even going that direction. But the Bible says here, who, contrary to hope, In other words, there was no reason earthly that they should even hope in this thing. No reason earthly that they should even think something like this could come to pass. But it says, in hope, believed. You must speak the conviction despite what everything else is going on inside of you. And what I mean by by the conviction or the revelation is you cannot mindlessly or flippantly just say the words, Oh, I believe. Okay, I guess I'll try this. I guess, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll do what pastor says, you know, I'll try it for an hour and we'll see if it works. It won't work. I'll just, I just don't do it. That won't work. In fact, can I just suggest to you, this is why we aren't getting many folks really saved. And the reason there isn't true conversion in the era we're living in is because as folks respond or as they're led into the prayer, a lot of times what they're doing is they're just saying, okay, I'll try this. I've tried everything else. I've tried the counselors, the therapists, the psychologists. So I guess I'll try this too, and I'll just kind of add Jesus in there. And so, yeah, I'll pray the prayer. I'll say the words. Okay, and I sign the card, and, and they tell me I'm saved. I don't know that that's true. Because there's got to be something inside of you that is convinced, that has a revelation, that has had your eyes unveiled to the truth that he bore your sins and he became sin in order that you might become the righteousness of God. And the reason we walk around and we don't feel saved and we don't feel victorious and we don't, we don't think it happened is because was there ever a conviction, a conviction that this thing happened that you know, that you know, that you know. Well, if it's that way for being saved, how much more is it for seeing the purpose of God come to pass I can envision heaven and when I see it I know one day I'm going to be there hallelujah I'm about happy at this moment but that's that's the way it works confession confession they didn't have any reason to hope yet they hoped anyway in fact I just used the biblical word I think for hope is the imagination who contrary to What they had been imagining, now in their imagination they believe, so that he became the father of many nations. You've got to begin to believe, believe, and begin to confess the revelation. If you don't have a revelation of it, you can speak all day long and they're just words. But once you get that thing in your spirit, you need to just keep speaking it. 
And then finally, number four, this is where we'll end, is confidence. Conception, conviction, confession, and then finally, confidence. Confidence. How does this thing begin to be birthed? In verse 20, it says this. It says, he did not waver at the promise. I started to look that up, and it's an unusual unusual Greek construction of words. And, 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 and they're using kind of a backwards way to communicate something, but it actually means... That, they, that, they, that he had no internal conflict. There was no hesitation. There was no misgiving. But he was fully convinced. And the word fully is the word pleroma. And it actually means not just full to the top. But it means full to overflowing. He was overflowing with confidence. He was overflowing with no internal conflict. He was overflowing with no hesitation. He was overflowing with no misgivings. He was fully convinced. He had something overflowing in him. Confidence. Confidence. And, and again, I'll come and rebuke you if I see arrogance or haughtiness. All right, how about that? We'll just make this deal. But confidence. Confidence is different. Confidence is realizing you ain't much. But that God's everything. And that he can do whatever it is he says he can do. Despite me sometimes and hopefully more times because of what he's doing in me. But confidence is the natural ease that you begin to rest in. Confidence, confidence is when you just know. I mean, I don't know how many of you came in this morning and you came into the sanctuary. You sat down where you're seated and, and there was great fear in you that that chair wasn't going to hold you up. I mean, you really, you had a sleepless night last night thinking that the chair wasn't going to hold you up. You were up in the middle of the night interceding, saying, oh God, let that chair hold me up. Please. I would be willing to bet if I were a betting man right now that there would be absolutely nobody in this room that last night had a great, difficult, tumultuous night because you were conflicted over whether or not the chair was going to hold you up when you got to church. I bet not, not one of you did. And the reason is because you have developed a confidence that when you sit down in a chair, it holds you up. Now, granted, if, if there's ever a time you sit in a chair and it doesn't hold you up, then, then it startles you. It goes, whoa, what went on? I didn't expect that. I didn't anticipate that. But more often than not, when you sit down in a chair, you begin to say to yourself, you don't even say it to yourself, I have confidence that this chair will hold me up. Confidence. Confidence. How many of us are that confident in the promise of God? How many of us are that confident in the plan and the will of God where he begins to speak it and we begin to imagine it and there's this natural ease that says, yes, God will do it. It's the reason why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Take no thought to tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Why does he say those things? Be anxious for nothing. It's because you can be confident in the promise of God. Amen. We can wake up the next morning and we'll be breathing, we'll be living, we'll be well. We can wake up and you can open your business and you will get orders on the phone or you will have customers come through the door or there will be a paycheck that will be given to you. He won't, he, the Bible says he's yet to see the righteous begging for bread. I'm telling you, you can have that kind of confidence in the will of God. Confidence is the opposite of timidity. It is the key to seeing the manifestation of your imagination. It's confidence. It's not now, again, if you get into arrogance or haughtiness or pride, God will resist you. But if you can humbly just say, Lord, 
I know this is your will. I'm going to serve you and just be steady in your confidence. You don't have to be a smart aleck. You don't have to always be shooting your mouth off. You can just be steady, confident that God will bring this to pass. Let me read this passage and I'm coming in for a landing. Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. I ran across this with regards to confidence. Listen now. Hebrews 10, 35. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence, but look at the next phrase, which has great reward. Now, I get this. I'm about ready. This should just light up in your spirit right now. Confidence releases reward. If you aren't confident in the promise of God, you will never see the reward of your imagination. If you aren't confident in what God can do, you will never see the great reward that he has for you. Confidence is one of those linking keys that we have to walk in in order to see that which God has promised be rewarded to us. You must be convinced that it will work for you as well as it would work for anyone else. It says, for you have need of endurance, which means, all right, it isn't going to happen in 24 hours. You didn't get to where you are in 24 hours. You made a series of really terrible choices, and it's taken you a few years to get to where you are, and the Lord's saying, listen, give me a little time here. You're going to need some endurance in this thing, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what? The promise. You'll receive the promise if you don't throw away your confidence. I'm going to end with this and then we'll be done. And we'll pick it up again next week. But I always wait until Saturday and sometimes even Sunday before I just scratch out what I want to write at the end in case the Lord says something to me last minute. And this morning I was watching the television set and we watch as we're getting ready. We watch T.D. Jakes and then we watch Joel Osteen. Pastor Osteen shared a story with his congregation, just a real brief, quick story about when he was a child, probably in his early, probably before he got to double-digit age, maybe eight, nine years old. He said he had, this, he, had this, he had this dream that he was going to be a Houston Rocket basketball player. He said, I, he said really, it was a fantasy, and I forgot. He was trying to distinguish between God dreams and just wishful thinking and fantasy. But he said he had this, this dream that he'd be playing basketball for the Houston Rockets. And as soon as he said it and he went on to whatever else he was mentioning, God just spoke to me there and said, well, it's true that he didn't get to play ball for the Houston Rockets, but the Houston Rockets aren't playing ball where they used to play because the compact center where the Houston Rockets used to play is now where Lakewood Church is being held. And so while he's not on the ball team, he's still in the compact center. I don't know if he's ever thought about that, but it just struck me right there. That's true. He's not playing ball, but he's got a whole lot better seat and a whole lot greater job ministry calling than shooting buckets for the Houston Rockets. Right now, he's speaking the word to thousands of people. Isn't that amazing? In the compact center, an eight or nine-year-old starting to envision these things. Yesterday, I had turned on the biography channel and it just so happened that they were doing a, a biography show on Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I didn't know much about Schwarzenegger. I know he's a movie star. 
I know that uh, he's now governor of California. They said on this little biography excerpt that his movies, imagine, have grossed over $2 billion. Imagine that. Most of us have heard of the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's, he's a familiar celebrity with regards to Hollywood and even now in his political career. They began to go through his background. He was born in a small town in Austria. I didn't know all these things. I knew he was Austrian. I just didn't know all the other things. It said that his dad was a, a police chief in this very, very small town. In fact, it was a poor, almost rural-like town. And, and they lived in a house that was provided by the city as a rent-free house because he just didn't make that much money. And he said that when he was 10 years old that he would oftentimes go to the movie theater and he would sit and watch movies for hours. And back in that day, they would still run the newsreels of uh, America and what was going on in America there in this small city in, in Austria. As he would see these newsreels of America go in front of him, he said he would begin to dream. And he'd begin to think about, one day I'm going to go to America. One day that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be able to walk down that street on that newsreel. I'm going to be able to go to that place I've just seen on that big screen. And as a 10-year-old, he began to imagine. But the question is, how, how do you do that? How, how could he do this? His family is, is so poor, and he lives in Austria, literally thousands and thousands of miles away. And he began to tell about how, as he would go to the movie theater, he would have certain film heroes, that John Wayne was one of his film heroes, and Kirk Douglas was another one of his film heroes, and he began to say to himself and begin to imagine, I know how I can get there. I'll be a film star. I'll just be a film star. And that's how I'll get to America. But how do you become a film star when you can't speak the English language? How can you become a film star when you have a bad accent and you're only 10, 11 years old? And then the day came when he saw a, a one of those B-movies, you know? You know what I mean by a B-movie? It just it didn't really up scale it doesn't you know this the special effects are cheesy and you know just a b movie that's what they call it and it was a hercules movie it was one of those you know where they take one of those you know rubberized you know dino dragons and you know then then, then hercules is fighting you know gumby it's what it looks like i mean but he was at one of these b hercules movies you know those movies the lips they don't match the voice coming and but he saw that and he saw the guy playing Hercules and he knew the actor was a bodybuilder. At one time was a Mr. Universe. And so he began to envision. He says, that's what I'll do. I'll become a bodybuilder. And so he began to go to the gym and he began to pump iron. And of course, all of us know his story of, of, of winning world events and being one of those muscle men, bodybuilders. And it was through that that confidence began to be restored inside of him. And it's amazing to me how at this particular moment, when you, when you hear the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you, you can hear his accent in your mind. And you can hear the famous words and phrases that he, he has made iconic in our culture. You know, I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. I mean, you can hear it. All of our minds here today, instantly, we can hear him saying that. And I was listening to this thing and it just kind of captured my attention for a moment because I understand that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a long way from godly. There's no righteousness, so far as I know, that exists there. But it was that the Spirit of the Lord said to me, he said, that's just natural imagination. That's just imagination Going forth from one that's not met me, doesn't know me, 
that's not living inside of me like I could? What could happen if God was inside of us? What if God was in the mix? What if His presence was in our life? What if, what if inside of us He began to dwell, the fullness of Him began to dwell inside? Maybe, just maybe, we'd understand Ephesians 3.20 that He could do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. But the enemies fooled us. And we've just pretty much convinced ourselves that Well, it just couldn't happen to us. And I'm here to say to you, it's a lie. It's a lie. I'll say it again. Let let God be true and let every man be a liar. Don't you let the world determine how it is you're going to imagine. It is a righteous thing to imagine in the economy of God. It's a righteous thing to imagine His Word being manifested in our lives. It's a, it's a righteous thing to imagine you walking in the will of God, free, delivered. It's righteous. It's righteous for you to imagine companionship that's godly. It's, it's righteous to imagine peace and joy in your life and in your household. It's righteous to imagine these things. It's righteous to imagine you being blessed to such proportion you can begin to release into God's kingdom like Abraham could do. That's righteous. Don't you let the world pigeonhole you. If the world had its way, yeah, it'd keep us poor. It'd keep us demeaned. It would keep wiping its shoes on our esteem. And the reason the enemy does that to us is because he knows if we get this revelation that we will cast darkness out, light will come, and kings and princes will come to the brightness of our rising. He knows it. He knows it. So just get ready because you got revelation. Now, if the enemy starts messing with you, I'm telling you, wear it as a badge of honor. Wear it as a badge of honor. And remember this, that it doesn't matter what he throws, your shield of faith can extinguish it all. Yes, it can. And we'll press forward. That's how the kingdom comes. The kingeth, king, kingdom cometh by violence, and the violent take it by force. We've got to go ahead and press forward. Manifesting. Your imagination. How many of you are ready to see your imagination come to pass? I mean, in God. I'm ready. I am ready to see God do great and mighty things. Let's stand, will you please? Let's stand. I'm just going to honor. I'm going to honor the Spirit of God here for just a minute. Father, I know that today in the earth, you work amongst us by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are in this place. That's not wishful thinking. That's That's not something that I hope happens. But Lord, you are in this place. You are here. Powerfully, you are here. Because there are two or three I know of, and more than that, in this building, that are living in your fullness. And it says that when we agree and come together, you'll be there in our midst. So Lord, I am confident this morning that there is more than enough of what we need to see your greatness unveiled before our very eyes. So Holy Spirit, we honor you at this moment. We honor your ministry. We honor what you do in people's lives. We honor your place in bringing the arm of God, the mind of God, the purposes of God in our midst. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing that right now, for ministering right now, for bubbling up a river, Lord, in our spirit, in our inner man, that's going to be loosed in this place and loosed through these doors and loosed into this region. Thank you for that. Thank you right now that one more time you're enlarging our imaginations.
Right now, right now, you're bringing people outside of their tent. And you're pointing them to something different. And you're saying, imagine. I'm calling you to be a father. I'm calling you to be a mother. I'm calling you to have influence. Not over just one or two, but over nations. Imagine, imagine this influence. I will bless you and help you and cause people to be marveled at you and, and, and you will be as a mystery in the midst of nations. Lord, thank you for that this morning. Thank you that you're soliciting that out of us this morning. Lord, I know for some that are gathered here that their imagination is, is being so challenged because of physical conditions and physical situations, natural situations and scenarios. And Lord, I pray right now that you would break them free from this sense moment. Lord, some of them are sick in body, and that's hard. It's hard to envision any more than the sickness that's raging in a body. Lord, some of them right now are under such stress and pressure because of jobs and bills that it's hard to envision and imagine any further than what they're going to go home to when they, they see bills spread out on the table and they don't know what they're going to do with it. It's hard. Lord, and I ask you right now, would you work amongst us in such a way where that we could begin to see miracles take place in these areas. These are small things to you. These are small things. And Lord, it's not that we need more faith. You said if we had but the faith as the size of a seed, a mustard seed. That we could say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it would move. So Lord, I know today there's more than mustard seed faith in this place. Lord, I just... Bring it to you, not because it's anything, Lord, on my part or anything that I would even think that I could make self-righteous in your eyes. But, Lord, simply because it's your word. Lord, but 40 days we've entered into a fast. And it concludes today. And you said in your word clearly that there were some things that just couldn't happen. Some deliverances that just couldn't happen. Unless we fasted, unless we prayed. And, Lord... We've done that. We've done that. And so, Lord, it's nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with your word and the precepts of which I am convinced are true. That you begin to do that which only you can do. Thank you, Lord. We honor you that miracles are about ready to spring forth in this room. I thank you, Lord, that right now. You're bringing change into people's situations. I thank you for that. I thank you and honor the anointing that's arising out of your people right now. It's being solicited out of me right now in the name of Jesus. It's arising in this house, a corporate anointing, Lord, from the people of God. Thank you right now. Thank you, Lord, that right now the glory of God is being manifested in this place. That it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord, that it's happening. Yeah, you can put your hands in the air. I can. My hand is beginning to buzz right now. Thank you, Lord, right now that there's an anointing that's beginning to be stirred in this place. And, Lord, we're not hoping so, but we're knowing it. We're, we're, we're seeing it. We're sensing it even now. Our inner men are arising right now and exercising dominion in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing in this house that will break every yoke. Thank you for the anointing that will break every bondage. Thank you for the anointing for all things that will cause great change to take place in people's lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right now, just, just lift your hands and worship the Lord. We're not waiting. As we worship the Lord, we're not waiting for something to drop from heaven. And that's why we lift our hands. That's not what we're doing. We're just worshiping the Lord. We're worshiping Him. And He's going to begin to arise in the midst of His people. 
Arise in the midst of your people, Lord. Arise in the midst of your people. Hallelujah. Come on, arise in the midst of your people. Come on, if you're beginning to sense something different, it doesn't come to everyone the same way, but if you're sensing the presence of God, what He's doing is He's endorsing righteous imagination. He's ordaining the dream. He's ordaining the vision. And right now, He's preparing and positioning you in order to see that thing come to pass. In Jesus' name, come on, I need everyone just to continue right now. Right now to my left, here, this is my right, this, this, this section right here. I want everybody to look at me just in this section. You all can continue to pray right now. But this is what I felt like the Lord told me today. You say, well, if your hand's buzzing, why don't you lay hands on someone? Because I heard what God said to me today. I just don't do what I want to do. But if you need a physical healing, I want you to lift your hands right now to the Lord. If you need a physical touch in your body. Now, I want these other three sections, keep your hand down. I'm going to work with you. I'm talking this section right here. I want you just to lift your hands for physical healing. Just keep your hand up to the Lord right now. Come on now. Everybody's praying. Everybody's believing. Because the Lord said that you would know that it's not man, but that it is him. The Lord said that you might know that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That you might know that it's not just a one-time event in the house of God, but that this is something you can walk in and see his hand move even sovereignly in this particular moment. I want you right now to begin to thank God that that portion of your body is being healed right now. Come on now. Thank the Lord. Father, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, we just... Come on, everybody put their hands toward this section right here. Lord, we just... We loose right now anointing. We loose it in this section right here in Jesus' name to heal bodies. We command bodies to begin to change, to rearrange, to heal and to mend in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Come on now. Thank him right now. Thank him that it's happening. Don't you wait and say, well, I don't feel anything. It says that the righteous will walk by faith, not by sight. Come on now. You believe. It's great when there's a physical, tangible anointing, but most of my life isn't lived with a hand buzzing. Most of my life is lived pretty normal. It's great when you sense God, but sometimes he doesn't show up like that. And so just walk by faith. This section right here, how many of you need healing right now? I'm telling you, God's going to do it in this house. I'm happy to lay hands on people, but you need to know that it's not, it's not man, it is God in you. God's working in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, it is. The Bible says that as surely as the Lord lives, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. There's coming a day that globally God's going to do something incredibly. Come on, right now, everybody else, lift your hands toward these people. There's corporate anointing that's going to mend bodies right now. Come on, you got to be. Are you ready? Come on, section in front of me. You ready? Father, in the name of Jesus, we loose right now healing upon this people. Heal their bodies now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, mend their bodies. Lord, if they feel it, great. If they don't, let it happen anyway. Just to show them it doesn't make a difference if there's a feeling. Lord, do the work right now in Jesus' name. In right where they're standing right now. Lord, do it right now in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Come on, this section right here. You know, when the Roman centurion came to the Lord. And he said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'll come. What Jesus was saying was, okay, I'll come lay hands on him. And this is what the centurion said. He said, because I'm a man under authority... And because I have those 
who are around me, I can say, go here and they will go or come here and they will come. If you but speak the word, it shall be done. And Jesus looked and the Bible says he was amazed. And this is what he said. I have not seen this great faith in all of Israel. This great faith. Great faith. Do you have great faith this morning? Come on now. If you believe, if you're under authority, if you, if, if you understand authority, come on now. God can do something by a word right now in you. Yes, he can. Everybody lift their hands towards these folks right here in this section. I'm about ready to lose healing with a healing word. Come on now. If that's you, lift your hands to the Lord. And it's not falling in from the ceiling. It's going to arise within you right now. Father, I ask right now in Jesus' mighty name, Lord, that healing would be released upon this section of people. Lord, that you would right now mend bodies and cause bodies to respond to the, to the healing virtue of God. Lord, we send that word and just as it worked for the Roman centurion, let it work right now. We are convinced, convinced that it works. Healing be loosed. Be loosed in Jesus' name. Come on, thank the Lord now. You're being healed. Thank Him. Come on, guys. For you, I'm talking to all of you. God can do this. God can, He can do this. I'm not saying He can in the way of maybe. He can in the way He will. Yes, He will. Everybody in the house, lift your hands now. This final section right here. Come on, if you're needing a healing, lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. We're just going to obey God. I'm, I, I, there's going to be a season that I'm going to quit answering questions as to what if this doesn't happen. Why? Why didn't it go? I'm quitting that stuff for a while. I have spent a lot of my life being an apologetic master for the Holy Spirit, and I am done. I am done. I'm believing him on his word. I'm going to take a season in my life and just say, shrug my shoulders and just say, I may not know. I'm just believing right now. I'm just believing. So, Father, right now, these hands that are uplifted in this section, Lord, right now, according to your word, we lose healing over this section in Jesus' name. Be healed right now in Jesus' name. Be healed. Be whole. That very hour, let it happen in Jesus' name. We're convinced, Lord, convinced right now that it's happening in Jesus' name. Come on now, thank him. Lose your faith and say, thanks, Lord. It's happening in my body right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you right now. Hallelujah. Come on, just take a minute and soak now in the presence of God. Sometimes just soak like a sponge in the presence of God. Let him begin to work out the issues of the joints. Let him begin to work out the issues in the bones. Let him begin to work out the issues in, in, the, in the sinus cavities, in the throats. Let him begin to work out the issues of the pain. Lord, in the back of the neck, let him begin to work out the headaches and the migraines. Let him begin just soak in his presence and let those things begin to dissipate right now in the name of Jesus. They're beginning to dissipate right now. Come on, let him work it out. Come on, let him begin to work in your inner regions and begin to create organs that can begin to do that. Strengthening the bones right now in Jesus' name. Drying up the cancers right now in the name of Jesus. Cleansing the bloods right now in Jesus' name causing come on now i'm glad for lasik surgery but he's taking the cloudiness off the eyes right now in the name of jesus in the name of jesus because he can he can say well he doesn't have to i can go to a doctor yes you can you can do that nothing wrong 
No condemnation in that. I'm glad for it. But he can, he can do that which only he can do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As I was praying yesterday, I didn't even know what he was going to preach on, but that Romans 4.20, for he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he's also able to perform. That is the verse that the Lord gave me when I miscarried our third child. And the prophet said that we would bring forth a child and she would be a worshiper to the nations. And that's Kaylin Rama Baird. But you have to understand, the Lord said to me yesterday, the reason you have not seen all the things in your life other than that specific promise is because you you hold on for a, a season. We hold on for a week. We claim this healing in my throat. I claim it. I am healed. I don't care what the enemy says. But you, we claim it for 10, 15 minutes. Okay, maybe a week. I want you to know that the reason she is here, I warred with that word for nine months. Y'all, I did not war for a week and then go to the doctor and he would say everything is okay. I knew the enemy's schemes and I warred every day till she got there. And even through her delivery, I quoted that scripture over and over and over. And you see, he said to me, and that's why you haven't done it. That's why you haven't seen it in any area of your life is because you wanted that baby. You wanted it more than life itself. And how many other times have I imagined something and I give up? I didn't give up on her because I wanted her. And we're going to have to see our finances. We're going to have to see our marriages healed. We're going to have to see our children coming to the Lord. Just like I saw her. I could see her in my mind. I could see what she looked like. And I was not willing to give the enemy his, his way in my life. And we've got to be just like that. So you've got to determine today. Okay, you don't feel any better. You hear my voice. Okay, you know what? Right now. It doesn't seem like I'm healed, but I will say it a thousand times before this day is over that I am healed. And I will say it tomorrow and I will say it the next day. And you're going to have to be just like that. Just like that. Your finances are healed. Your marriages are healed. Your children are coming. Your houses will be, will be built. You will have babies. When you think the doctor says you can't, yes, you will. Yes, you will. And you've got to hold on to it and you've got to confess it every day. Amen. And next week we're going to talk about the evaporation of imagination. Because you know what? That's what happens. It gets sucked away from us. But you know, Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, this I command you, that by the prophecies that were spoken over you, that by them you might fight the good fight. I'm telling you, you got to fight. You got to go from this place and you got to, you got to stick it in the enemy's nose and say, make me feel bad. Make, make, make my situations look absolutely the opposite. And when God comes through, he'll get more glory. Amen. You have need of endurance. Don't you throw your confidence away for with it comes a great reward. Amen. If you don't know Jesus or, or anything in you right now is alienated from God, we always cast the net. I'm going to do this swiftly. But if you need to come and make public confession of Jesus Christ, we do that publicly because Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So we just encourage people to come and we just pray all together. But you've got to make a step. You've got to put 
feet to your faith. And you got to put an action in the thing and say, Lord, I know that I know that I know that you are alive and well and true. And if I open up my heart and get myself right with you, you can do great things in my life. Come on now, if that's you, it don't take long. Come on now. We, can, we don't need to tarry. We, we should have to tarry 30 seconds. You say, man, that's me. I'm just doing it right now. If that's you, just do it and just come here with me. And we're just going to love you and pray real quick. And then we'll lose you. I'm telling you, we won't keep you but a moment or two. But if that's you, we, we want the Holy Spirit to draw people at this moment. How about it? I'm going to just take a moment. We prayed for you. God's merciful. If that's you, come on. Come on. It's good to see Gary. God bless you, man. Come on. Anyone else? God bless you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? You won't be alone. Come on. It's just good. It's just good to put your feet to faith and, and do that. Just take another moment. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Let's all pray, shall we? Everyone together. I want everybody's voice right now. Say, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge you today and your dealings in my life. I confess with my mouth. All waywardness, any sin, any rebellion. And I choose by an act of my will to repent and to walk towards you. I receive your renewed presence in my life. I believe you were raised from the dead to give me victory. I accept that. The fullness of who you are. In my life, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. I'm convinced. And I receive you and walk from this place as a child of God with all rights and benefits. Thank you, Lord. It's by faith and grace. And I accept it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen. Amen. God love you. Amen. God is good, isn't he? God is way good. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to release you right now. It's going to be a great day. But you got to find three or four people and you got to encourage them. That's why Hebrews 10, 25 exists. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some but he said, uh, mutually encourage, exhort, and edify all the more as you see the day coming. So, so do that. Encourage, exhort, edify, build each other up. Tell somebody that greatness is just around the corner, all right? And I hope to see you Wednesday night. We're going to talk more about the inner man on Wednesday night. So I hope to see you here. But God bless you. You're released. Have a great week.